Hello and welcome to 361 Degrees, Season 3, Episode 9. My name is Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. Rafe Bamford, who are you? I'm Rafe Bamford, surprisingly <laughs> enough, and I'm from the All About Sites. And somebody else is here. <laughs> well, yeah, I was waiting for you to say, you and McLeod, who are you? Oh, go on. Who are you? Uh, so I, yes, I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. Okay, right. And Ewan, you, uh, you are currently in San Diego. I am in San Diego. I'm from uh, here uh, taking part in Qualcomm's Uplink 2012, where mobile links up. That's the uh, uh, the branding for you. There we go. I, I think, to be honest, I want, I want sponsorship payments here before we get any more branding in than that. But uh, This this, so- this, uh, this broadcast is brought to you by Qualcomm's Snapdragon. No, okay. No. <laughs> you know what, Ewan, when I'm choosing a phone, I like to consider the <laughs> processor that's inside it. Do you have any... Anyway. Okay, uh, there's something else important is happening at the moment as well. Um, mm. Google I/O is going on in uh, in the states as well. Um, we'll we'll defer talking about too much detail because, frankly, I don't think it's finished coming out. But uh, you and a few new devices. Yes, well, uh, basically another plastic slab, black plastic slab, and a round ball thing. Awesome. Uh, are we going to add any particular detail on that, or are we just going <laughs> to keep going? <laughs> well, actually, I'll tell you what's quite interesting is the, the Nexus 7 tablet. Uh, it's a rather smart price point, $199, right? But also I got an email from Carl from Warehouse saying it's £199. Or 159 sterling if you buy the 8 gig unit ah. direct as well, because a Carl Warehouse are only selling the 16 gig, to, as far as I know. But you can buy it from Google uh, direct. So, Does that, I mean, that's that's a quite nice, attractive price point. I'd probably that, be thinking about buying one anyway. That is some alarmingly smart pricing, definitely. Um, I just, my heart has sunk a little bit because I, there's definitely a space for cheap seven-inch tablets, you know, and it, and I, I think Google are right. It could really kick off the content consumption on Android, you know, sort of mindset into the consumer space. But I really think they are desperately crying out for some high-end, nice-to-use Android hardware as well because it's, it's it's lacking, distinctly lacking at the moment. The S3, however fancy it might be, doesn't really rock my boat in terms of you know the hardware. And uh, what, I mean, what else is there out there? Can we nice? ask? Uh, can we see what Blandford thinks? Would you be or will you be going and buying 159 pounds uh, for this tablet? Well, I, I'm pretty tempted at that price point because it is at a point where you go, oh yeah, I'll try that out. But I think people should probably make sure they realize what this is it's not a kind of high-end android tablet that's reflected in the price point this is more to my mind a competitor for the uh, kindle fire the amazon tablet and you know i think people could buy this and end up being a bit disappointed when they realize it's not going to meet their expectations but i do agree it could kick off the android content piece but it's one more ecosystem that people would have to adopt and i find it difficult to see how that will find traction amongst the other kind of the ebook systems out there and some of the other content consumption systems that already exist. I'm just thinking if I want a cheap black, black plastic tablet that I never use, I've already got a playbook. Oof. Yes. Uh, anyways, we shall see. But no, the joke aside, I've I've had a playbook on my on the desk for a while now, and whilst it's not too bad for web surfing, I, I do wonder if these will be will be toys that get tossed aside. But as you say, Rafe, when um, when people realise the limitations, because the fire. Is, is sort of hasn't been universally acclaimed, has it? Anyway, uh, we'll we'll come back to that in more depth, and we we need to talk about the the Nexus Q as well because um, it, it's a kind of a home media streamy thing. But there's I think there must be a a story behind that as part of a you know 
Google trying to make some money out of uh, content distribution. But mm-hmm. beyond all of that, something even more exciting than, than Uplink or Google I.O. has happened. Rafe Blanford went to Sweden. Yes, it was very exciting. I got to visit Stockholm to uh, see Ericsson and talk about the kind of the future of networks. And this was all part of a, a GSMA initiative that they're kind of pushing at the moment, which they call Connected Living, which is essentially about where networks and connected devices running on them are going in the next sort of couple of decades. So, I mean, uh, what does connected living mean? It, it conjures up some images in my mind about people with lots of smartphones on them, but it's, it's more nuanced than that, isn't it? it? It is. I mean, if you think about mobile at the moment, people kind of think about smartphones and mobile devices they may also think about tablets and pc dongles but actually connected living is about all the stuff that's beyond phones it's really about all the objects around us in the world becoming connected over networks and that might be your car it might be you know appliances in the home it might be street furniture out in the sort of built environment it might be health sensors so I mean, actually, the GSMA break it down into four areas. They talk about M Automotive, M Education, M Health, and M Utilities. But it's kind of this vision of the Internet of Things where everything is connected. Um, Sometimes it's referred to as the ubiquitous city, things like smart electricity grids. So it's the idea that um, by connecting pretty much everything to the network, uh, and obviously the channel for that is the, the mobile network, um, of one description or another, bit GSM, WCGMA, LTE, or whatever comes next, and thereby making them more intelligent because you can address them and control those devices and they can talk to each other, maybe automatically, you know, machine to machine communication. For example, you know, a, a dustbin telling someone it's full and arranging a delivery to come out and empty it take it away or recycling that kind of thing so actually it's not it, it will often impinge on smartphones and smartphones may be part of the uh, the path and it may impinge on humans as well um but a lot of the time it will just be that kind of low level intelligence the, you know it's the this digital utopia that i think gets talked a lot about in future visions um and it's kind of gsma saying actually all the bits are in place now we now need it to arrive so i mean but Ewan, do you, do you do you believe in all this? Because I, I I went to an event this week uh, in Cambridge, and and connected living was was very much a sort of a, a topic there. Um, interestingly, uh, Rafe mentioned the the car example. There were there were some guys from Qualcomm actually who who <laughs> genuinely deserve a mention now who were talking about who were, who were who were put t- t- talking about all their work putting cleverness into um, wirelessly recharging electric cars and. Mm. Uh, and you know, obviously, there's a challenge around getting the power from. I think what is like often a mat on the floor up to the, you know, to to the battery and getting it recharged. But also, um, then all the connectivity and the cleverness that happens around that about communicating. You know, who should pay for that power? But I think Rafe was was suggesting earlier when we were chatting about this. But also, you know, the state of the car, the battery, allowing to work out where charging stations were, all this kind of stuff. I mean, do you? Do you trust the mobile network well enough to be the conduit for all of this important data? You know what? I think one of the most one of the most interesting elements of a mobile network and perhaps the greatest value that I think we can derive from a mobile network beyond the, the actual basic connectivity is trust, right? You know, they, these guys are in a position 
uh, of trust. And I think it's quite fair. I mean, I do trust Vodafone, Telefonica. I trust these guys to get it right. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. So trust actually isn't really a problem of anything. I think it's a profit center for, for these guys. And coming around to you know, the, the, the Internet of Things and, and, and connected living, uh, I think you, you, you asked, do I believe in it? Uh, well, I'm, I'm way past believing. I actually, I just, I want it to be there. I love the idea of my refrigerator uh, being connected to blah blah blah. I like the idea of the dustbin um, or the trash can, Lanford. I mean, we've we got to keep it, you know, internationally focused. Uh, I like the idea of the trash can uh, being being connected, and th- therefore, I like the metrics you can get from that. I like the way that I could probably the, the local council could bill me because of the the way that I'm using my trash can and and so on. I I would love to see this more so, and I think it's right to point out this is nothing necessarily to do with smartphone. Um, it's actually, if anything, about bringing all these these things, connecting them, and then seeing how that. Um, how that benefits everyone. I would just, I just like, I like the idea, for example, of when I arrive home or when I'm five miles away from my home, the lights come on or you just, I just, it, this kind of um, connected living is going to be really, really exciting. And I'd like it now. So the thing that strikes me though, is often that, you know, uh, uh, smartphones are expensive, but we know they're expensive because they've got a lot of, you know, they've basically their computers with, with modems in. A multimedia but, computer in your pocket. Exactly, but if, even if you strip all of that away, do I my 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 trash can, as you put it, you yeah. know, is, is two plastic kind of you know what, what what we call wheelie bins in the UK, sort of five foot high plastic rectangles that you know go out for for, for the, the the local services to come and collect from time to time. I just think that that you know that is probably I don't know like a a, a st- one sterling pound of plastics value. I wonder, you know, at what point will this technology be cheap enough that you start putting, you know, wireless modems and things into something as, as trivial as a trash can? So, see, I'm, I'm, I, I, well, yeah, go on, Riff. Well, I think you have to look at it from, from two points of view. How cheap will it get? Well, you need to look at the fact that you can pick up a phone for, you know, £10 now to realise that actually that's got very cheap indeed. The second point is you need to look at the cost benefits it will bring. And so for something yeah. like a, a smart bin, and actually I think in all of this, it will go into the most expensive items first. I mean, that's kind of almost self-evident. But let's take the example of a bin. If suddenly you're able to organise your collections more intelligently, the potential savings on logistics are actually pretty big. You know, the dustbin cart doesn't have to go down that road because there's nothing to collect. Think of the petrol saving. You mm. can actually reduce the number of dust carts you have on the street, for example. And so it opens up the opportunity for very substantial savings. Uh, yes, there's a, a cost to put things in place. But as with any of these things, once you start scaling them up to the large scale, you can do it very cheaply. And don't necessarily think it needs to be um, a phone that goes in there. You might yeah. well have, um, you know, it, it may just be a local area connection uh, obviously it wouldn't be something as short range as bluetooth but maybe uh, wi-fi and those costs have really really come down and it might be connecting to you know a local network i mean we tend to think about um, networks in quite a, a broad scale approach in just one level but actually you mm. could potentially have a, a local network in an area and even devices communicating with each other so potentially the bins could uh, in one street could all talk to each other send a message down and then out via one point that's attached to the lamppost at the end and that lamppost is also maybe doing some pollution monitoring for the city council so it's important not to just think of it as one point in in theory at least it could all um, mesh together 
in a sense that actually all of that will reduce costs down. I definitely find the whole prospect of doing of, of having connected things far more compelling in the short term with high value stuff. For example, yes. um, you know, uh, we, we've been out looking at cars recently with a view to buying a new one, and some of them now have, um, you know, uh, sat nav systems in them that are connected and they, they do mm. i'm almost disappointed that they're so expensive and they do so little because even if you even if you get the the most ex, you know top end ones you know it's sat nav with some traffic monitoring and you know you might be able to potentially get your routes you know from an online planner and I, i've heard tell i've heard tell that there are some that you can kind of you know request remote assistance if you break down on things and they can interrogate the car to see why it's broken down um but this is this is sort of the the sort of we're not there yet are we while it's not very exciting but i do i do quite like the idea of um you know that the car being a far more connected environment because you know i've got potentially in the future road tolls to pay i've got routing traffic both reporting and you know and and status updating um you know all that kind of stuff and also maybe even um you know cars and petrol and things are getting expensive now you know the ability to send data around so that i can drive on roads that are less congested maybe even be billed for where i go and when i go i mean mm. a long time ago i worked on a project that was involved on charging people for road use and it, knew it never came to fruition in, in the uk you know apart from um, in the center of some cities but if you had genuinely connected cars you could do that more fairly because you wouldn't have to rely on people uh, you know going on gantries and things well, well, let's be fair, actually. Cars is actually one of the places it's going to arrive sooner or later. Um, and this is a thank you to Ericsson for this particular <laughs> bit of conversation. There's actually something called Equal coming in the EU, and that's essentially going to mandate connected cars uh, from 2014 onwards. Uh, and that's that, actually that about... brilliant. Fantastic. So say that again. What's it called, Rafe? It's called Equal, and this is actually really around emergency services. And so this is the idea that if... Uh, uh, airbag goes off in your car the emergency services will be automatically alerted and they'll get position information wow. that stuff as ben says is already in high-end cars but think about the life cycle of cars you know typically we're talking 10 years or so um it, it can be longer but you know this means that by 2025 say anything up to 80 90 percent of cars on the road will have this built in and you know as i say a lot of this already exists now think about something like tom tom traffic hd um this is a service that is already exists out in the wild and they actually talk this is tom tom talk to operators and get data from them about how mobile phones are moving from cell to cell and from that they draw out information about traffic conditions so they can actually see whether there's a delay just on the you know it's all anonymized it's not on one specific user it's by getting data directly from the network and they can predict up to an accuracy of you know about a minute or so how much a delay will be if you take that particular route that will come on even more if you've got all of these connected cars sitting out there there's potential for a lot more and uh, you know thinking about connected cars it's not just for the individual for example a a logistics firm could put all of this into their hgvs and when it's going up a a big hill it could make extra horsepower available Uh, when it's on the flat it will take those horsepower away away from the driver the reason for doing that is it basically makes more efficient driving it uses less fuel which saves costs and all of that could be done automatically and controlled from a, a central point potentially so actually um 
a lot of connected living is already there that people aren't necessarily aware of. And I think that will be a pattern we see more and more. People will just, you know, take it for granted. Uh, and Ben was talking about, you know, uh, pickup points um, for charging cars or for fuel. Now, obviously, you know, electric cars are coming in now, talking about a completely different area, but it ties in with a connected car. If you t- think about utilities, you may well have charging points. When you visit a friend's house or when you visit one publicly, um, you don't actually want the hassle of having to type in your car details and say, yes, charge me up. You just want it to happen automatically. If you've got a connected car, it knows who you are and you know that connection and payment process can happen automatically and you'll be charged for filling up your car with electricity on your home electricity bill and that's actually a combination of both the connected car and what's referred to as a a smart grid Uh, and i think given the energy um scarcity and all those kind of resources coming up in the future that's when i actually predict will happen sooner or later because we've already got smart meters in the home those are ones that you know send the readings automatically to your utility provider it's not far to stretch that on and sort of you know potentially charge people out in public places and indeed that same smart grid can uh, let you turn on appliances at the appropriate time when energy costs are low i mean the example that i saw was around a washing machine you know you press the on button and say i want it to my clothes to be cleaned by time x in the next morning and it will turn it on at night when electricity rates are cheapest and it will open up the potential at least for highly dynamic pricing in, in smart grids and efficiency of uh, both generation, but also probably more importantly, consumption, which would be a direct benefit to the consumer. Do you know what? I, I'm, I, that is just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And, and I love it now. And I, I'm wondering if the GSMA um, and Ericsson, if, if, what do they say to you or what do they intimate about the operators? Because wouldn't it be really nice if the operators said, you know what, we're going to stop messing around with branding and with trying to compete over the top, um, what we're going to do is start introducing these types of services. You start focusing on it. Because I, 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 I worry that the attention of our operators is diverted away on fancy, fun things, for worrying about Apple, worrying about Google. When really, if they started focusing on these types of areas more, you know, more resource, I, I worry that they'll just put, you know, 5% attention to this kind of thing and then, uh, you know, um, put so much more attention into the, 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 the public-facing nonsense, actually, when you, when you start thinking about the, the implications of, of what you're discussing. Right? Did you get much commentary from the GSMA or, or, or Ericsson about what operators could or should or will be doing? Well, can, can, I, just, can I just jump in, Ewan? Because um, I was, whilst, whilst Rafe was swanning around um, Stockholm with his smorgasbord <laughs> of, of information, um, I, I, I was at a, a talk and Olaf Swanty, who's the CEO of Everything Everywhere in the UK, which is the you know or, the Orange and the T-Mobile indeed, brands, indeed. Um, was was talking, uh, giving his view of, of what was going on. And although he didn't specifically allude to what you said there about supporting connected living, he did point out that he thought the network's job was the, just to be a very good network and to stop messing around giving free cinema tokens and all this kind of stuff. He was a bit quite, he was very directly dismissive of that. But really? He, he, yeah. And he did, he did say though that he thought um, that the operator needed to help people use connected devices so that, I mean, I think he was beginning to allude to helping people, I think, using smartphones and laptops and wireless data services so that you would sort of go to your mobile operator store and they would make it easier for you to do this. But I can well see that the next logical progression of that is um, 
helping you purchase and, and use and own connected devices you know is, is the next logical piece because you know they're, they're, that's so much more money there like. surely i mean if the operator took a slither of a percentage you know a billionth of a percentage of every single microtransaction going on you know if every time my bin updates and tells the local council that i want you know i want it picked up the operator gets us you know a billionth of a penny so this is a fantastic opportunities here and you know to stop messing around focusing on iphones and android phones and and you know trying to put an application on top of it that, that helps me do x y or z it wouldn't it be cool if these guys actually got out of the way well, I think the, the GSMA and operators see this as an additive thing. You know, they'll keep on doing that mobile phone piece, and that's going to be very important. And obviously, there'll be interaction. But, you know, the GSMA w- was talking about some of the numbers involved. So, for example, it's about, you know, increasing number of connected devices. It's about 9 billion today. This is according to some research that they commissioned, the majority of which is, of course, uh, phones. And then there are some tablets and some PC dongles out there. They're seeing it increasing by 2020 to 24 billion, uh, and more importantly, it's the oper- it's the revenue opportunity for operators. Uh, and there's a suggestion that this could be around a trillion US dollars. You can see why they're so wow. keen on this. Um, it's the idea that um, the, the revenue from network traffic will increase very substantially. Um, at the moment, uh, it's around 34%. It could drive up to 54%. I think implicit in everything that the GSMA says is that it will require cooperation with other industries, and they almost see a, a, another convergence happening. Um, but yes, to an extent, operators would kind of get out the way um, in terms of branding, uh, but they would be enabling all this stuff. And yes, they would be getting a revenue share. And I think probably the closest example you can see of this today is if you take a, an Amazon Kindle device, yeah. if you get the 3G version, that's already using lots of operators around the world to deliver data to that Kindle's device. And most people won't really think about it as a, a connected device, but this is part of connected living that's already with us. And mm-hmm. that's the pattern mm-hmm. I think we'll see going forward. And to me, Rafe, actually, it's funny you said the Kindle because I was just thinking that. Um, at the moment, you see, I don't understand why operators are where they are, um, because you have to be somebody as big as Amazon, you know, and have the power and the clout and the financial acumen, you know, behind Amazon to go out. For example, I think um, Kindle runs on Vodafone in the UK, doesn't it? I think. Mm. So, That's right. But you, you know, to do yeah. a deal with that, and um, to do a deal with Vodafone, where you know Amazon pays the wireless charges, not the subscribers, and to, to completely sort of change the model around it's still wireless but it's it's unique relative you know relative to how most people use data services um i would have thought that the operator that makes a service that is dead easy to use like that that allows um you know the people who make fridges or the people who make cars or the probably actually initially the people who make aftermarket add-ons so yes you know tom tom this kind of stuff just to begin with um you know the, the thing that na makes it easy for them to add in it as a service charge and for the operator to become the utility but not to be the dumb pipe because the the operator adds in some value because they're adding in the location and the details and the sensing mm. from the network you know and to partner there because i don't know i think if i have to go out and buy you know if i buy a new fridge let's say i go you know i go down to my local electrical store and i buy a new i buy a new giant fridge if i have to then go down to the network store and buy a a sim to put in it and sign up for a subscription plan you know i look like i do at the moment for my tablet if i want it on 3g you know as a very simplistic model that's just going to be horrendous and i think the people who move first there would have a huge advantage um, uh, sorry go on riff 
I, th- I think you're you're absolutely right there. Uh, and the thing I think that's worth underlining there also is that you know people think of that as kind of the dumb pipe strategy, but I don't actually think that's very accurate because within this you actually need a pretty smart network to be able to enable all these kind of things because there will be different priorities of services running across the network and of course a lot more data going across the network. So. Uh, it's actually a much more complex infrastructure than we have now. Of course, moving, obviously, you know, adding that many connected devices to the network has a big effect on architecture and the kind of traffic running across the network. And that's something uh, I certainly got out of the uh, the trip to Stockholm. And that was, you know, kind of the Ericsson piece, if you were like, because obviously they are a provider of network equipment. They both design and in some cases run uh, networks on behalf of operators. Uh, and many of the characteristics we're talking about will also have a direct benefit on end consumers. So it's probably a, a topic we should touch on in a moment. So, so I, yeah, I, um, I just wanted to quickly pick up on because we, we, we sort of highlighted sort of three areas when we were prepping this, and we talked a bit about cars and we talked about the home. But I, I kind of want to just pause briefly and highlight um, where I don't, where I don't think it does work, and where I think people get carried away because. I kind of I'll half buy Ewan's trash can because I can see that you know that that the, in the UK, for example, the local authorities have a benefit to be had from coordinating rubbish collections and, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want my fridge to order me milk, for example. That's always the one that comes up. You know, when you run out of bread, your fridge will order some more for you. Well, I don't want it to because I'm going away on holiday next week and my fridge doesn't know. I haven't told it yet. You know, we're breaking up. I'm <laughs> selling you. You know, it, it's. And I think that the, the, often the examples that are being cited in the connected piece, in the connected living piece are a bit short-sighted. And, and so it's often those examples, and you know, for me, the fridge would be, if you're going to connect your fridge, it would be far more about talking to the electricity grid to try and make sure that it, for example, did its defrost and refrost cycles when the electricity was cheap. That's valuable to me. Not ordering me blinking milk. Not well, uh, right, but, uh, hold on a minute. Not, I want to, well, hang a second, not, not, not having a big screen that shows me where all my friends are. I'm turning it into a TV or something like that. <laughs> right, but yeah. I, I also quite like the idea to know what's in my fridge currently. Well, open the freaking door. No, no. If I'm at a shop, if I'm out, you know, it's just quite useful to know. Yeah, I, I think also that I, I agree with Ben. The smart fridge idea is one that really drives me nuts because you know, it, it's used as an example way too often. But the idea of a smart home, um, and actually you need to think about the way it's making decisions and almost the, the human-computer human interface component of this. So imagine, if you will, you've got some kind of web interface or it could be an app on your phone that um, you, know, you take a, a smart component into your house and it starts talking to the other components in your house. So, for example, you can think about a lighting system or something that you might leave on by mistake. You leave the home. It knows you've left the home because you've locked the door or your mobile phone is no longer in the home. You get a message saying, you've left the lights on. Uh, would you like to switch them off? And the first time you say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I want to do that. The second time you do that, it does it again but then it asks you the question do you want to turn the lights off automatically every time you leave the home and so i think a lot of the time these you know smart appliances in the home are talked about in an individual sense it actually only really starts having benefits where you build a certain amount of intelligence into it and learn behavior and it's not something we think a lot about in computing at the moment but it's that kind of level of customization or talking to each other another example might be 
wouldn't it be great if your blinds closed automatically in order to cool the house so you didn't have to turn on the air conditioning because obviously one of the big sources is sunshine coming in through the windows and actually you kind of want that to happen automatically without you really thinking about it especially if you're not there so it's actually the the benefits from having stuff talking to each other is a lot of what uh, connected home is about rather than uh, you know the interaction with a human actually that's kind of just one piece of it the well, real the benefits thing, are from semi-intelligence in, in, in a complete network the last thing i want is to be is to spend more time dealing with appliances i want less notifications exactly. less interruptions yeah. i don't if i buy a connected fridge i do not want to have to interact with it more than i interact with my current fridge but i don't mind if it talks to the electricity supplier or i don't mind if it yeah i don't know let's say it's got a drinks chiller in it and it, i don't know mind if it you know makes ice more efficiently or, or you know purifies the water or you know turn, fills up when there's low capacity or something like that. yeah, that's that's cool but just don't don't bother me just get on and do something smart but i, I do get a bit nervous about learned behaviors because whilst i know there's some parts of my life that are fairly predictable about you know we did that 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 ordering milk example or even um you know sort of uh, anything that sort of learn you know always turn the lights off when i leave the house does you know at the moment turning the lights off myself isn't a isn't a big deal so i like the kind of the safety net but i'd much rather that the lights and everything were talking to you know some sensors on the outside of my house and well it's daytime so turn the lights off anyway you know let give me an exception that let me let me actively turn them on in the daytime if i need to you know Mm. Um, so just one more that i wanted to to talk about rafe because i think this is crucial and it's a bit kind of less um it feel it's something i know less about but i feel like it's but maybe more important is is m health and telematics because we it actually came up at this event that i was at as well this week where um you know a, a professor from cambridge university was talking to us about how they were working on you know very very clever ways to sense data from people which could then be fed into connected systems and this was things like having contact lenses which could read your um blood sugar levels and and tattoos which responded and and intravenous uh you know sort of the ability to actually to put tiny implants in which retrieved information and he was talking about all the techniques that you could use to make them kind of not invasive at the moment because the prospect of being connected to health advice really does appeal to me Mm. yeah i think it's a really exciting area um to give you some specific numbers these are coming direct from uh, Ericsson are sort of talking about 500 million people globally have a, a chronic health problem and that tends to mean that they're going into hospital on a regular basis to have tests or some kind of monitoring going on and actually that can be up to 80% of healthcare budget so we're talking about a huge wow. amount and that's only going to increase because we live especially in the western markets in a world where people are getting older and so you know actually the instance of people with a chronic health problem is going to increase not decrease uh, and so all that telematic uh, piece that Ben was talking about, and it can actually not necessarily be this, you know, this future stuff, you know, the smart tattoos. It can actually just be, you know, putting uh, a certain amount of connectivity into stuff that already exists. And it could be as simple as actually equipping a nurse to go out and visit people and be able to enter this data in the home and then going over to back to the network. You know, all of this stuff exists at the moment. What's really needed is something to connect it together, kind of end to end, Uh, seamlessly and in a a secure way of course there is also the potential for people to do measurements themselves uh you know and sensors 
within the home some kind of little appliance you know blood monitors or whatever it happens to be and obviously i think the driver for that will be cost savings in healthcare provision but also the you know, obviously the convenience for individuals so i wouldn't be surprised if m health is actually one of the things that happens more quickly than people you know might expect from just hearing about it because mm. the, the potential here is i think uh, bigger than almost anywhere else it, it was interesting because we this guy, this guy, this professor from from Cambridge University, spoke for almost almost an hour about all this kind of exciting sensing technology and 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 the whole idea about you know the the ways that that sort of connectivity would help the future of medicine. And then at the end, somebody put their hand up and said, you know, what is the one most important thing you know that you could that would make a difference? And he said, um, addressing diabetes, blood sugar levels. Wow, because he said that is, and I, and I hadn't even thought of that, but that is the most serious condition that is, you know, globally. You know, I think he said twenty percent of people in China have some type of diabetes. It's eight percent in the UK, and well, I'm going to get it wrong for the states. It was higher in the states, but I mean, it's a really, really serious issue. And as Rafe, as Rafe was just saying, you know, the key thing there is measuring blood sugar levels. So, you know, if you can do that and you know have that connectivity back to your doctor. Um, you know, consistently uh, at the moment, I think that there are products out there that that offer kind of the one way sending information. But what about if there was a response loop? And what about if, if it gave you dietary advice as well? You know, because obviously, you know, some people will struggle to to eat appropriately and manage their blood sugar levels. And so it's not just about working out that they're unwell and the effect it's having on them. Mm. It could even be about helping them manage their condition as well. Wouldn't it be brilliant if you actually, you know, um, you're in a restaurant. Um, and then, and your um, your menu dynamically configures itself according to, you know, um, your blood sugar levels now or later on or, or the like. That could be quite smart. I, again, did you see the trouble there is that that's getting dangerously close to being too being too much. You know, I don't know if there's, I I don't know if there's any value in the level of complexity that would have to go on there, you know, to to change it. But I can imagine. Um, Let's say, and I, again, I haven't, I haven't, we haven't got any diabetes in our family, so I haven't done this. But I know, for example, um, you know, you take your measurements, but I've gone out now and I've gone out for the day. And so the problem is, if I am out and about working out, you know, what can I have and when mm, so that mm. you don't get people blood sugar spikes? And what if I could use my smartphone to look at what my blood sugar level normally was at this time of day? If I, if, yes. you know, if I had dinner at midday, well, what 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 will my blood sugar level probably be without? What does it recommend? Take a measure yeah. and exactly, and what does it recommend? It, and it could say you're fine, have a normal dinner. It could say actually you're unusually late for dinner, so you know go and have X, Get Y, yourself and Z. A we can go and have a Mars bar. I, I don't know. I, if you have diabetes and, and feel unwell, do not have a Mars bar on my advice. For goodness sake, that could be fatal. I don't know. Um, but you know, it just it, it's not so much about changing the menu that feels too controlling for me but it feels like it would be useful information that closes that closes the loop there and and um i mean i know for example something that that we do um in a completely different in education sector is we use mobile just to give people easy access to experts so what happens if what if you could even just text or instant message someone you know i'm feeling i'm out i'm feeling unwell you know what should I do? Yeah. Well, you know, this would be my advice. I mean, it's 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 kind of nine tenths of the way there, but but if you plumb it into an ecosystem where your 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 blood sugar level monitoring is connected and your health checkups are all are all connected, um, 
you know, and, and maybe even you've even tracking your perhaps you know in other words you're tracking your exercise regime or something like that. Yeah. You know, and and it, and it could all be intelligently done. Because um, he he said uh, this this chap said he thought people would be checking their health stats as regularly as they were checking their email. Now, well, he said, no, that. see, I I have um, asthma. It's perfectly fine. It's managed. I don't really have an issue with it. And now and again, I take um, an inhaler. Um, in fact, I do do it out of habit. I think a lot of the time, uh, but it'd be great if that inhaler or, or the six or ten of these things I have dotted around the place, um, you know, I'll just see it and go, oh yeah, I need that click. Um, it'd be rather useful if I had some metrics to. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm doing it right, and mm. I'm healthy as far as I'm aware. I am healthy, right? I don't know anything beyond that. Uh, it'd be rather useful if the the if the medicine. Or the dispenser was actually doing the metrics for me. So I don't have to think about it, just as you were saying, Ben, right? Just do it in the background. Give me the metrics. Or actually pipe the metrics out to uh, a cloud store somewhere and then let, let some systems just have a look and say, look, he's actually using it too much or not at all. Or he's using it more on a Tuesday and that's because, oh, that's because he's doing more exercise on Tuesday or whatever. I think and that's going to be, yeah. It, it could all be about warnings because the point is that you don't think about it having asthma until you get a really bad attack that makes right. you feel unwell. But if you got the warning, if you got, if, if through constant monitoring and that wasn't intrusive, like so much medical monitoring is nowadays, you got a note that says, actually, you haven't done any exercise this week, mate. And, you know, if you want to stay healthy, you know, just keep on top of your asthma, you need to do this. Or, yeah. you know, you haven't had uh, whatever medicine you need. It could mean that you never actually get to feeling unwell because it just prod you when your body signs are showing up but before you know there's something serious well you can imagine the implications of when you're traveling just be fantastic to let you know listen you know you've been doing this 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 uh you're now traveling you're about to get on a plane so we recommend you do blah 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 oh it's just going to be really exciting and and by the way i've also bought you some milk (laughs) (laughs) so uh look we should we should wrap up but rafe really quickly because we've run over time um there's the key thing we haven't talked about here is what needs to happen to enable all this. We mentioned network operators, but I think, and we'll come back to this in the future. But there's a M Health isn't just about putting SIMs in things that don't have SIMs in now, is it? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are initiatives like embedded SIM, which are, are important to all this, but I think all of that's self evident. What's also needed is a more robust network and a more intelligent network because if you start to rely on this stuff, it needs you know absolutely brilliant. And I think anyone who's used a, a network in a big metro area knows that sometimes it stopped working or there's congestion. So there are a couple of things I think that are worth talking about with regard to networks. And both of these, I saw a demo of them from Ericsson. The first of these is heterogeneous networks. Uh, And this is the idea, essentially, that the topology or the architecture of networks becomes more sophisticated uh, so that it can carry more data. Now, part of that is moving on to something like LTE. And I did see a a demo of LTE Release 10 or Advanced LTE, as it's known. And that's up to uh, 1.5 gigabits per second download. That's actually not about just for one person but imagine what that does to the capacity of a cell and actually it's using what's called uh, 8 by 8 MIMO it's basically multiple streams with multiple aerials and it actually rather perversely works better in metro areas where you get reflections bouncing off each other and that's fairly typical for uh, MIMO type uh, connections Um, but actually what heterogeneous networks are about uh, you've got the existing network of cells you then put smaller 
installations in which are micro cells or maybe something a bit bigger much like we have in stadiums today but they mm. go in areas where if you like uh, you get the the highest density of users or connected devices uh, by doing that sort of thing you can actually uh, better manage your network and you I saw a specific demo about how effectively you can maintain the throughput, but you can actually also uh, do it in a more power-efficient way because you uh, step up and down the power available in each of those connection points according to what's required. And so actually the energy cost required in running those networks um, is the same as before, despite the fact you've got more points in your network but you're maintaining a higher throughput so there's a, a lot more to talk about in that and we might do a future episode on this because it's things like mm. you know attaching things to lampposts or putting them in stadiums um ericsson you know as a network company they have a whole bunch of products that they were showing off and you know they can even talk to each other and create a mini network in an area but uh, that kind of robustness in the network is obviously something that's necessary but it's also about putting intelligence into the network itself and this is more often than not a software function and this is the idea that you know individual cells uh, should talk to each other and might respond according to what's happening in the network and i think just to offer one example of this um, imagine a network cell goes down. If the other two cells around it know that that's happened, they can actually expand the area they cover maybe by increasing the power output and effectively self-heal the network. Mm. Um, so you know, we all know that cells go down. What operators want is for them to be aware that it happened automatically without their intervention. They can then go and repair the cell. When it comes back up, it readjusts itself and goes back to normal. That could also be used in a capacity sense so at the moment all the cells are in a very broad sense the same size but imagine that they could actually vary the size according to how many people are in them so that if you had lots of people concentrated in one area the cell size would maybe shrink and the two nearby areas would grow and you'd actually be able to maintain capacity and throughput because of that so that kind of intelligence is it's in its very earliest days but that kind of intelligence in the network and obviously, that's way more than just being a dumb pipe. It's really mm-hmm. very sophisticated stuff is what is exactly is going to be required to, you know, create, make this connected living uh, a reality. Bring it on. The, I think, yeah, small cells are a really big theme at the moment, but smart small cell, cells actually... Uh, even it's, more it's, exciting. It's, well, it's one of the few times I get excited about network infrastructure. Yes, face absolutely. It, it's, not a, it's not a sexy topic, but it does make a massive difference here. Mm. Guys, we'll wrap it. we really tight for time but we will come back to that so uh thank you very much for your time guys and if any if you're listening and um particularly around the m health piece because i suspect there might be a bunch of people out there who've actually got health conditions that they can relate some of this stuff to i mean maybe with cars it's kind of a bit more universal but i would be really interested to hear kind of life-changing uh, implications of connected living mm. uh connect, connected devices please uh, drop us a comment wherever you hear this thank you very much guys i uh, will speak to you next week uh lots of love Lots of love. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, yes, next week will be the last one in the series. So we also make it really super awesome. <laughs> I, know, I know. Are you crying? All right. I thought you were laughing. That's right. uh, I, I think it's just because, season. I think Rafe's just sad because the soundtrack of Singing Birds that's been playing throughout the podcast has, uh, has run out. So <laughs> silence in the background. Anyway, guys, we should go. Thank you very much for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.